0: John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 105.0 AM Palm Springs.
3: Okay, you are back in the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren sitting at the controls and uh, over making the Martinos is David North. I'm here. I maybe can't figure. Marcino's? I don't know what. Well, I, I don't. I can't figure this out. What kind of a man takes his wife's name? That's um, true. <laughs> and, and, and I'm trying to figure out David North Martino, David Martino, B, David North. Which sounds better? I you know maybe call David North, North. Southeast West. Maybe call, you know, you're getting into Kanye West. Sort oh of no, stuff, that's right? true. No, I yeah. can't do that. You can say yours he is um, you know, or um, <laughs> his baby, right? You look just like that. I, Yeah, that's right. I'm his love child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have to figure out who your mother's going to be, but that's all right. Oh, hmm. so, Now, speaking of mothers, um, we have got <laughs> a returning guest, and uh, this time we're going to talk to him because this, this guy is multifaceted. Um, he's um, written, uh, of course, we talked to him about uh, Al Capone and his brother and Two Gun Heart, and he so he does nonfiction. But he is... Um, a relic in the world of fiction. <laughs> wow!
1: You saw it together.
3: <laughs> ah, Jeff MacArthur, thank you for being here.
1: Ah, thanks for having me again.
3: Well, there you go. Well, you're so good that people want you twice.
1: Oh man, I can't <laughs> believe that you, I didn't already talk your hair off. Oh, I you know
3: it goes in through one and out the other. You know, <laughs> <laughs> very 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 little in the middle here to catch anything. So I don't know. <laughs> Um,
1: you, you didn't lose all the audience before. You want to lose the rest of them?
3: <laughs> no, no. They they loved it so much. They actually had to play three, four, five times.
1: Oh wow! a popular demand.
3: Yeah. Both, both people.
1: If only they'd read the book that <laughs> many times. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know that's that's just how it goes. I can never figure out uh, a buying audience. I can never figure it out.
1: Yeah. Um, with mm. books,
3: it's kind of this this whole uh, world of. Uh, with Amazon in that last 10 years, how books sell, I have no idea. You know, certain ones will sell when you don't expect
1: them to, and, and years after, and then other ones, it's just, it's unpredictable. You're exactly right. Actually, there was one time when I went on some national interview for something, and I was like, all right, I was watching the numbers, expecting that's going to just, like, explode. It's going to be, like, this big thing or whatever. And it didn't, but one of my other books did. And it was like mm-hmm. another book that I hadn't even promoted or anything like that, just all of a sudden, like, a ton of people. I'm like, where? Okay.
3: <laughs> it's, you just don't know. I think all you can do, I think the best thing that we can do out there is just brand ourselves. But, you know, we just put ourselves out there. This is what I do. And you just kind of keep working it that way. And, and people pick up on you and what you do rather than, I, I don't know. I think that kind of works better because I, I can't explain it. Um, or either you could start putting your... Your books under categories that are very, very little used, right? Uh, and so then you'll be number one in that category.
1: <laughs> that, that actually does actually help. One of them that uh, that kind of took off for a little bit. That was that was the thing. It was kind of in a more obscure thing. I was like, oh, nobody's gonna find it in here. And sure enough, I don't remember what it was, but it was uh, oh, it was under lawyers. It wasn't under <laughs> true crime or law. It was lawyers. <laughs> Yeah. Just a, it yeah. got a bunch of attention. I was like, all right, well, sure.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to put my newest book under basket weaving for <laughs> and, and see if it actually, you know, all I have to do is sell like five or six and I'll be number
1: one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's niches. You know, that's the thing. is, if you can get in with a niche and that niche crowd will become passionate about it and, uh, you know, pass it on to other people and stuff. And that actually, it does actually work that way. it's, it's, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I shouldn't say it works because some, you know, somebody's going to go out there and expect it to work and then it won't, because we never know exactly what <laughs> is going to work at one minute or the next, but a lot of times it does. I'd, I'd say that that's one of the better, uh, marketing choices is to go after your niche crowd.
3: Yeah. The only problem is it doesn't always, uh, right. you know, it doesn't always work. We just, uh, we were exactly. talking about an author that just did one under a, a weird category there and, uh. And the highest team made it was number nineteen under the new releases. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not going to work. It's not going to work every time. So nobody should expect it. But it's one of it's all. You really what all these things are. This was true with the you know book industry and the film industry and all that. It's you wait the dice as best as you can, and then you roll them. Uh, and then it's but if you're still going to be rolling the dice. It's never going to be a sure thing. So.
3: Or you put new pictures in it
1: that's true that's true <laughs> <laughs> you know even then
3: <laughs> well they got to be good nudes right and it's, you know i think they you know have it where it's scratch and sniff you know
1: oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i don't know
3: maybe not but
1: i have an used idea to do that. I just well, I pictured, bet you did.
3: <laughs> it's, it's now on the internet, and
1: so I'm just picturing people going up to their screens and scratching their screens and <laughs> Hey,
3: but you know what? Back in, what, in the 40s and stuff, they had Smellorama in the theaters. Right. That's True. right. And then yeah. they had the. Remember the Tickler, you know, the. Um, no, I know, yeah. but no, that movie with Vincent Price that horror one wasn't it the tickler or the whatever it was with that little creature that comes out of the spine and so they had vibrators in the chairs (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm and just they, picturing Vincent Price and the tickler just just that the, 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 his face and the way he, the way he sounds
3: yeah well <laughs> he, mixed I, with that. he probably had the real tickler a few times <laughs> uh, oh man Ooh, yeah, yeah and I didn't know well anyway that's a different story but that, you know so they could do it in a theater they could do it on your on, they have some I don't know you have a little kit that you get box has yeah. the smell in it you can
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, wow. You, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sick, sick one. Was, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very proud, actually. <laughs> yeah, they might
3: take me out and shoot me. Hey, so you're into science fiction here, it looks like. So yes. this, this Relic Worlds, mm-hmm. um, so what is Relic Worlds?
1: Well, essentially, it's uh, imagine if Indiana Jones was in space. Uh, I mean, I'm from that age. I was six years old when Star Wars came out. I grew up with Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And basically, at a certain point, I was like, what if he's too mixed together, had a baby, and, uh, oh, that's actually kind of sick. But anyway, um, yeah, I was um, going <laughs> <laughs> to say, it <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> wasn't exactly what I was
1: thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Incest love child, but anyway, um, but yeah, you get the idea. It's like what my generation grew up with is, is this idea of, uh, uh essentially, um, Creativity. I'm trying to think of a better word than that, but just essentially, you know, like today, you have a lot of things that are just sort of rehashed and all sort of thing. We kind of grew up with all of these stories that were original, and one of the things that really inspired me to get into stories in the first place was the idea of these more sort of original sort of stories. And anyway, Star Wars, uh, Indiana Jones, and this this if if I mix them together, essentially, it's this guy going around looking for uh, ancient artifacts. Uh, inside of ruins on distant planets. So essentially going around and... Basically, the idea overall in terms of the uh, world building is uh, as humanity went out into the stars, uh, they expected to run into aliens somewhere, but they didn't. They just kept settling on various planets, but they found the ruins of these ancient alien civilizations. And as they got to each one of them, uh, for the most part, for the most part, humanity didn't. The, the governments that were landing on them didn't care because it was no longer governments like the U.S., Russia, all that. Instead, it's corporations. So it's it's you know you no longer live in United States ter- territory. You live in Pepsi territory or whatever. And so when they get to these various different planets and see these ruins, instead of seeing them as oh here's this <clears throat> amazing you know find that we that we've located, instead it's oh, we gotta level that so we can put a super mall down or whatever. Um, <laughs> but there are a few uh, various characters who go, w- wait a second, why are there ruins here and why are the aliens still here? And so yeah, there's where the main character comes in, Lancaster James. And he's essentially going to these various places and trying to get these artifacts out of there before they get leveled and putting them to be basically, uh, they're like puzzle pieces. So he's trying to put them all together to figure out what happened to these alien races. And could the same thing that happened to them happen to us? Uh, and as the series goes along, you find various different characters who want to find these artifacts for different reasons. Um, and then eventually the corporations start realizing they have some powers, so you wind up in this big race with, with them. Uh, it's like an arms race with them trying to each get the more powerful ones. He's in the middle of it. It's the various people who kind of joined him are in the middle of it. Uh, that's basically it. That's, I mean, it's, it's mainly the way I pitch it is it's advantageous in space, but it becomes much more complex, much more of its own thing.
3: Yeah, but you call this Lancaster James the uh, and the salient seed of the galaxy. So what do you mean by that? Um uh, well, I'm, I'm thinking of Soylent. No, but, <laughs> no, but, so that's kind of an obvious, but who is Lancaster J- James? And, and I'm trying to get... Uh, that grasp on the character.
1: Okay, well, yeah, th- that's book number four, that's, and that one's just come out, uh, or it's it's just coming out. It's available for pre presale. Um, but he is uh, he's an, he's actually an anthropologist instead of an archaeologist. He's. Uh, studied about, uh, he's a xenoanthropologist. so he's studied about alien races, what little was known about them, again, because the the universe that he's born into doesn't really value education very much in, in, uh, except for, like, how do you make money? Um, but, he, what as little has been known, he's studied, he's become fascinated by, it, and he's kind of obsessed with, you know, learning about these alien races. Um, but what he, you know, what he was educated by, what he learned was really thin, and so he has gone out and started finding... Since the alien races themselves don't exist, uh, so he can't really study them, he more like takes their artifacts and uses them to start understanding what they used to be. Um, now, there are, like, uh, barely sentient races that are out there, the races that have just barely started to evolve into some kind of sentient being or whatever. And so the other anthropologists that he knows, that's usually what they're studying, is like cavemen on different planets. Um, but he's fascinated by, uh, and so the, before that, the anthropology has been mostly studying them. But what he's fascinated by is, well, who were these alien races who used to exist, who used to be starfaring, who used to control the galaxy, who used to go to different places, who used to live in these gigantic ruins? Um, and he w- used to be married to this woman named Mika Sanovi, who uh, is an archaeologist, and she was fascinated with finding all the stuff, but she was more fascinated with just the stuff. She would find it and, like, sort of put it, put them uh, in her museum, and there are scenes where the two of them are in the museum, and she's like, okay, she's sort of organizing them in terms of the way they looked, or whatever, you know, uh, race they were, and he then gets annoyed, and he starts rearranging them and going, no, this should be here because he's putting more, of them more in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of the puzzle, in terms of figuring out how one race connected to another, connected to another, and how you know what happened to them and stuff, and stuff like that. So yeah, he's he's basically a very uh, you know very passionate Indiana Jones kind of character. Somebody who instead of being very, you know kind of grump, uh, gruff, and grunting and all sort of thing. He's, very, uh, he's He's very passionate about what he does, and the reason why he and his wife divorced was because he was constantly going out and looking for the stuff where she was kind of like, "Hey, let's just get this stuff and put it in our museum and sit at home and be comfortable and enjoy this." Um, and then he goes out and he travels with his partner named Little Jack, who is this uh, short guy who used to be one of the greatest well, he, he's kind of known as one of the most uh, uh, um, one of the best corporate spies ever to go around and do everything, and basically he was like a, uh, uh, like a gangster, like a spy, like an independent contractor, uh, assassin, a thief, etc., etc. but he kind of left that life behind because he saw what Lancaster was doing and felt that he, there was the, like a little tiny noble side inside of him that admired that uh, nobility, so he kind of covers Lancaster, because Lancaster, while he's very good at finding these, these relics and putting them together, he's not particularly good at fighting. So his partner, Little Jack, kind of protects him and helps him, and that sort of thing.
3: So let me translate for the for the audience. So basically, Mika left Lancaster James because Little Jack was doing what she couldn't.
1: Sora. <laughs> <laughs> she she the, <laughs> It's funny. For a second there, I thought you were actually going to uh, say that what actually really does exist between them is, is there's this animosity between the two, in that she. Never really liked this guy, never really trusted him. She's very much of the straight-laced, you know, she's a professor at the university, do everything the right way, whereas here's this little gangster guy comes along uh, and, you know, doesn't talk very much. Um, and so for the first three books, there's always this tenseness between them. She, in some way, she feels like he stole, her, she, she stole Lancaster away from her, because he kind of, like, even though he wasn't into the, all the artifacts and, and that sort of thing, he was certainly in, interested in helping LionCaster go and find them um but in this latest book and book 4 is where she and he have the breakthrough and actually uh, have, start to have a connection and all that sort of thing and it was some of the most fun when i was actually writing that because i was like i wasn't sure where to put you know what to do next and then all of a sudden i realized oh wait i don't have anything for little jack to do right now i don't have anything for mika to do right now it's time these two hook up well okay not like that but they it's time for these two to to like have their breakthrough and and get to know each other as people and that sort of thing.
3: Did you have to do any special type of uh, research or uh, did you have to kind of extrapolate out to create this type of alien archaeology?
1: That's a really good question because yes, I uh, thank you for asking that because most of the time when people ask about this sort of thing, it's you know it's well you're just creating alien species you're just sort of you know making everything up and so it's you know it's completely in your oh, head. A good
3: question. I can't believe you even said the word extrapolate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
3: I have a dictionary here. That's it in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, because here's the thing is, and this is why I always. Up, because I'm always thinking, oh, good, I'm going to get back to Relic Worlds. Because, like, as you say, I write various different books. And whenever I get back to Relic Worlds, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be easy. It's just a adventure story, you know, all that sort of thing. And then I get into it and start realizing, oh, wait, I don't want this to just be obvious BS. I don't want it to be just like, oh, is this, this. I want everything to, you know, connect for one thing. And I want that to make some sense. So, like, for instance, with this latest one, Uh, he gets closer than he ever has. Well, each book, he gets closer than he ever has to an ancient alien race. And, uh, you know, I mean, even something as simple as a chair, it's like I've had scenes where somebody goes into a room, an ancient room, and there's like some furniture there. I'm like, but they wouldn't, it wouldn't be just a couch, <laughs> you know, they would, it'd be like, you know, like, for instance, this race has a tail, and I'm like, okay, so what would their chair look like, what would they, you know, and everything has to be, and so, as a result, I ended up looking at various, uh, alien races, various different, <laughs> uh, alien <Brilliant>
3: furniture stores. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, uh, but, he, you know, human ones, uh, you know, or uh, not human ones, uh, earth, you know, pre- creatures or whatever, and like, okay, how can I... Mix and match, but I also don't want it to just purely be, okay, this is a lizard in space. It's like I want to, you know, make it something a little bit more different. So, uh, you know, I even go to, the, like, the source of, well, okay, what makes life exist? What are the three, uh, you know, what are the various ingredients that creates life? And so how can I create something more? How can I have something that isn't just, doesn't just necessarily have even a mouth? Maybe it breathes a different way, maybe it eats a different way in this latest one uh it's a it's uh alien an alien race that was both on the surface and in the water, so I was going into a lot of the sea life and my God, some of the sea life we have here in, on earth it's just it it's alien already uh so you know taking various aspects of that and you know putting them in um even yeah, and then there's uh there's their technology which I'm like okay, yes, partly it's what I make up so in some ways, I want it to be almost magical, because it's supposed to be something beyond what humans could comprehend how to make. Uh, and oftentimes, um, magic is, would be, uh, or oftentimes when a technology is further away, it would just seem like magic. Because, like, imagine taking a cell phone to the 1500s, you know. Uh, so, it would, you know, in many ways, it's just that. But I also am like, I want to have some way that things actually work, or some at least theoretical idea, especially when it comes to human technology, or whenever humans have, have made it work for them. So yeah, there's a lot of, I end up just having like almost a college education every time I write one of these books, because I'm like, alright, I'm reading about astrophysics, physics, and then I'm reading about biology, and then I'm all for this, you know, fun adventure book. But, you know, I, and I always have to alter them to work in the books. And then I have to describe it to the audience because there's no actual English word for a lot of these things. I have to kind of, I'll, like, have some word there, and then I'll explain what it is. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 they're basic adventure books, but they have a ton of research behind them, probably more than a lot of my nonfiction books. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Lots of sex in it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to. That is one place where I have even asked parents if after you read this, please tell me. I because I, I'd like to hear because I've never had a kid myself. I, I don't have any actual sex, but it it is like I, I ride the line. I've oftentimes said it's about at the level of like. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. If you, if you remember that. Not, not that it's that quality. It's definitely a better, like that, I don't consider that to be a particularly good movie, but if you've ever seen it, that, that movie literally created the PG-13 rating. Because it's like, well, it's more than PG, <clears throat> but it's not quite an R. You know, there's a, there, literally the secret door in which he goes into, the, or the, the way he gets into this uh, room is he grabs the, uh, the boobs on this uh, statue. Um, you know, there's a scene where a guy's heart gets ripped out. Uh, so it's like it rode the line and it was right on that line, and that's basically where I wanted this, where it's like entertaining for adults and it, it, but uh, and but, you know, I figured, okay, this will be for like teenagers and above. And unfortunately, when I go to conventions and I'm showing it off, it's always the little kids who run off and are like really fascinated, excited, and I'm like, Ah, maybe I should have written this just for little kids. Yeah, so so cutting the cock out and <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there, you know, it's there's never an actual sex scene, but there's, it's implied. Like there's a, a scene where a woman is seducing a man, and I'm like, is that going to play well to ten year olds? But then again, I watched the what was it, The Temple of Doom, when I was what eleven or something mm. like that, and it didn't scar me or anything. I was just kind of like weirded out by it. Well. Uh, so I think it's fine. It's just, especially today's, you know, more sensitive. But I did write a series then of um, uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books, specifically meant for that crowd to be like, okay, if the main books are, <clears throat> are a little much for you guys, then, you know, here's the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And I made sure those were totally clean. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, I, I think, I think it's, it's fine because I think the kids aren't near as naive as we were. You know? Yeah. I, well, maybe not, but I just think they're mm. probably a little more. I mean, look at what they see on Netflix and and right. Stuff, right? you know it's pretty yeah. pretty graphic in these sci-fi
1: yeah.
3: movies uh, and pretty intimate. Yeah, so, that's but, how I feel.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. So you know, it's it couldn't be that bad. You know, I mean, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't terrify them that much. But <laughs> but how how deep can you go in relationships then in a book like this?
1: Right. That's a very good point because. It, you know, on the one hand, <clears throat> in, in terms of like you know, in, in terms of age for kids and all that sort of thing, you, you know, you uh, usually don't want to go too much. But again, I was thinking teenagers and above, so I would be like, okay, it's fine to go into any amount of uh, detail. The issue, though, then becomes, am I boring the audience? Because you, you know, it, it, I, and I'm always asking that with this series, and again, more than any others, because. With the others, it's easy. It's like, okay, nonfiction. Somebody came here to read about this subject. Okay. You know, about what, what is the story behind what happened here? You know, with uh, the American game, which was a a historical fiction. People are interested in, you know, people who are in warfare coming together. You know, stick to that. With this, it starts as a basic venture story, but that there's only so far that can, that can go. A treasure hunt only goes so far. You need to then get into some kind of interpersonal relationship just to get you know keep it interesting uh, or you know audiences are gonna get bored I mean there's a there's a really good reason why in the Indiana Jones series in the third one they introduced the father because it's like you can't just have somebody just going treasure after hunting after treasure hunting after treasure hunting so uh, so yeah you have this on and I in this particular case I set this uh, ridiculous goal for myself to have nine books uh, partly because it's supposed to be just an ongoing storyline but also uh, I have this rise and fall of what basically overall happens with you know one of the alien races and uh, human civilization, etc. So I need to have some relationships going on. So I have the you know with the, the um, interpersonal thing between him and his ex-wife, uh, the the way that his partner grows and the, that you know the way that friendship uh, exists, and then the, some of the other characters. <clears throat> but um, oh, what was it?
3: Well, his, um, his name um, was, what was his name, his partner's name, Little... Little Jack. Yeah, Little Jack, so he grew up to be Big Jack.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, he actually, part of the idea is that he is, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's a little person, basically, he's, you know, he's like right about around that size. Uh, he also has eye problems, he's one of the only people who wears glasses, and the idea is supposed to be that he's sort of this almost deformed kind of person, particularly in an age when you can, uh, when people can have a lot of these uh, issues fixed when they're little kids, but that's supposed to be physical signs of, like, the way his parents sort of abused them and that they didn't care enough to get all of these uh, fixes that you can get. I shouldn't say fixes, but you know what I mean. It's, it's all of these alterations you can have so that you wind up having, you know, perfect eyesight. And, you know, um, I mean, we already have, like, you know, laser eye surgery, and of thing. Really my idea is that a few hundred years in the future, that's going to be kind of like getting your uh, vaccine when you're a little kid. It's like, well, most people, except for anti-vaxxers, do that for their kids. Um, it'll probably be the same kind of thing that, you know, everybody kind of has their eyes fixed. Everybody has, you know, any genetic uh, issues sort of dealt with. But there are a few people like Little Jack who just, their parents just didn't care about them enough. Uh, So, and that that goes into the whole relationship thing, like you're saying. So I always am sort of wrestling with where do I, uh, how much do I go into the personal relationships and how much is that interfering with the adventure story that people came for, if that makes any sense. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, are you worried about political correctness through a story like this? But
1: great point, especially now because of the fact that I started, I came into this, you know, in an earlier era. I mean, I've had this in my mind literally since like the late 90's. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you a story here in a second, in a little bit about uh, how the, the birth of this actually had to do with the movie Titanic. <laughs> but, um, so this goes way, way back. And again, you know, I grew up during this era where it was just simply, you know, here are these stories and we're just going to have fun with them or whatever. Uh, and you know, and it he was he's a character, he's a, the type of archetype that dates all the way back to, like, the 30s. And so now there is kind of this sense of, well, we're moving on to other kinds of characters. Um, which that, I, you know, I, I understand a bit more, but then you also have the oversensitivity of a lot of people being, you know, wanting to nitpick on every little thing you do. And there's, you know, I mean, there's a little bit of that that I uh, sympathize with, because it's like, okay, yeah, I do I do believe in the idea of stories evolving and becoming, uh, uh, changing, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a different word other than evolving, but essentially uh, evolving into other ideas, but also being sensitive to various groups. I don't want to make fun of anybody or put them down and stuff like that. Um, uh, but at the same time, sometimes people will take something that was like meant for an alien race and they'll put it on themselves and then be like, well, you're making fun of us through this. And I'm like, no, I just meant it to be this other thing. Um, now, I have not run into that myself, but I oftentimes do become afraid of that when I see people really jumping on other projects and going, oh, wait, I have a character that's kind of like that, or I have a... Uh, an alien race it's a little like that and i can see those same people criticizing this for the same reason so it does make me careful in some good ways but in other ways it's like yeah i I have to stop and just go you know what i just have to tell the story and not be worried about what every person's gonna think
0: (laughs) one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
1: nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt
0: until you tried it on same goes for your health care to find out if it's right for you.
3: track of all your characters, storylines, your, your uh, different uh, science elements. Do you have a process for that?
1: Basically, I have extensive notes like written all over the place. However, I, I have to admit that this book in particular, I found it, it really challenged how many notes I had because there were a lot of places where I had to refer to some things. And I started looking back and realizing, oh wait, when I was writing that, I was just in the zone. And because that's the thing, sometimes when you're writing, you're just so much in the zone that you don't want to stop. But of course, if you, as you're writing, you're also establishing certain aspects that are going to be needed later on. You're you're putting in certain names of objects or you know uh, certain ways that certain things work. And if you don't stop writing and right away and go and write that as a note you're going to forget it later, you just, you know, but that's the thing, Is sometimes I'm in the zone, and I just get right through, and uh, and I don't think to write it down later, and so there were times later, where, in this book in particular, where I was writing along, and I'm like, wait a minute, I established that somewhere, I, you know, and I looked through my notes, I couldn't find it, so I just went back to the other earlier books, and I had to do, uh, find, you know, like the find and replace that thing, I just did a whole search for, uh, those aspect for what those words, but or what those words were. But of course, not knowing what the words were, I had to think of a word close to it. So, like for instance, the name of a planet. So I was like, all right, well, I'll look up the word planet. So in, in case I said the planet such and such, you know, whatever. Okay, didn't do that. Uh, maybe I said star system or whatever system, you know, whatever. And I'll, I have to basically go through all the books until I find that planet name, you know, and come back. So, now that this book is done, it, it was such a headache having to go through and find all those words. <laughs> After this is done, I'm actually going to be going through and and writing, uh, you know, writing uh, going through every book and, you know, writing down all the notes. And it's, it's just in time, too, because I'm actually going to be making a role-playing game version uh, of it. So I, that'll all go into there. So people playing the role-playing game, it's like, okay, well, that's all the notes. And the, the RPG will probably be my notes of, you know, of everything, because... You know, they'll need that too. Well,
3: uh, you're a busy man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do way too much.
3: Where do you get your characters from? But like, they sound—it's pretty developed. Like, uh, you know, your uh, little Jack and then Mika and stuff. Where do they come from?
1: People you know. Yeah! Wow! Really good questions. Because uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, of course, Lancaster is basically the archetype kind of adventure character. I mean, well, I say, that's you. you uh, yeah, I mean, in a way, yeah. I mean, it's the you know, it's the adventure character that you know exists for. A long- I keep saying you know, I say Indian Jones a lot because that's what I grew up with. But of course, he is also a product of a lot of the you know archetype characters or whatever. And yeah, you can never help but have yourself somehow placed into them. Uh, I meant for, I, just I was saying, Lancaster's very passionate. I had actually originally intended him to be more of a gruff kind of, you know, uh, low-key kind of character, but I found myself writing him so passionately that I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's, I guess, my piece, you know, placed into there. Uh, the, the, Little Jack character, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I don't even remember where a lot of these characters came from. There's this whole long history that, uh, like the, the very, very pl- first place where I started coming up with it, uh, with it, I was, it was before Lord of the Rings had come out.
2: And I was like, how
1: about a sci-fi version of Lord of the Rings? Uh, and so, you know, I had like, was creating all these characters from, that kind of thing, uh, from some of those archetypes. And of course, one of them is small, because it's the Hobbits. And that character kind of eventually, over all these years, evolved into Little Jack. Uh, But in many ways, it comes back to, there was a, uh, my best friend when I was a, uh, when I was a kid, was this kid who had cancer, who, uh, because of the treatment that he had, he never grew, and so he was always really short. And I've found myself, as I've been writing... Of making a lot of the dynamics of those two characters very much about what, what we were, I uh, Mika, there's a lot of aspects of a of an ex girlfriend of mine that's that's in her. I uh, that was very you know studious and very you know concentrated on one thing or another. But uh, of course, then the story itself ends up readjusting you know as things goes along because because of the fact that they run into one thing and I mean it's very much like pool balls running into one another and we and. Readjusting one another's um, trajectory, uh, and so they may start one way, or they may have started completely a different way. But I found myself writing them one way, but then they hit each other, and then they change into slightly different people. So in many ways, they've dictated themselves. Um, but yeah, there's there there definitely are you know uh, there's there, there's one couple who actually is based on a porn couple. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Halt you don't, the insa- <laughs> you don't watch porn <laughs> well no i i was uh, i i one time was hired onto a quote-unquote b-movie showed up there to find yeah it was a, it was, i was working on a porn so i was actually the driver and they, they, they couldn't park at the actual location they had to be driven up and then after a while they had me working at the front desk basically handing out uh... contracts and just basically, any pa- basically holding on to any paperwork and two of the people who worked there was, uh, it was uh, this, this couple that referred to themselves as the Insanity Twins. Uh, it was Roxanne Hall, and I don't remember the, the, the guy's name, but they were two of the funniest people I've ever met. They were so hilarious. She went around with a keychain uh, uh, with Polaroid pictures of every woman that her, that, uh, her husband had sex with. Like, anytime that he was in a, in a movie, she had to go there and take a picture of them and stuff. Uh, and just was, they, they were so full of life and so crazy and so interesting. Uh, and then later on, many years later, when I'm writing this uh, this thing, uh, I had to have a couple of people from Little Jack's Path, and instead of having just the typical gangsters that, like, worked up, I wanted them to be kind of this very extreme... And so I took the Insanity twins and, and you know, uh, made them into this. And my girlfriend read the characters and didn't like them because she's like, why are you calling them twins when they're so, you know, they're, they're married. They're a married couple. They're, you're implying incest. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's just that there's so much alike, like each other that, you know, uh, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: Wow, you're just. But it it sounds like you're putting a lot of your personal self into this. It's like when you talk about some of the characters, they're 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 emotional parts of you. Yeah. And so, therefore, when you do that, you do, do you do you have a problem? How do you say developing that on paper?
1: That is, man, that, you guys are full of really good questions today. That is, you're absolutely, that is really, you know. We,
3: we are the full of it channel. <laughs>
1: You know, and I, I apologize for kind of stammering and rambling, but it's like you, you're really making me think quite a bit because you're you are right. Or actually, of me is also like, okay, how much do you actually want to tell Jeff?
3: Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, next we're gonna pull out the pictures. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: But yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right because the the reason why that's such a good question is normally with a book series like this, you'd be like, oh, it's an adventure series; it's just for fun. Blah blah blah. But I have actually specifically said, maybe Jamie has talked to you, because I've actually said this exactly to her. uh, Where, (laughs) uh, you know, I'll look at her and I'll be like, I'm surprised at how emotional this is making me. I'm surprised at how much this is pulling out of me. And there was another author who asked me, of all the books I've ever written, what's the the book that you would most want want to be preserved? If all of them were going to be destroyed, but only one could remain. I said, maybe American Game, but probably uh, Relic Worlds, if the entire series could be considered as one series because there's so much of me that's come out from this. And I think it's just because it digs down so much to the roots of who I am. I mean, it, it literally goes back to uh, when I was six and what made me become a storyteller to begin with. It was literally watching these, you know, movies when I was a little kid and then buying the the action figures and creating towns with them and, like, moving uh, And, you know, like my whole childhood was put into creating these, these stories uh, with this, Friend of mine, I was talking about who was really short, and I I grew uh, uh, unusually tall at the time, and so you know it's it's very much what we created has slowly evolved into what this is. I mean, and the way that this got started, like I said, uh, that time in the late '90s where basically somebody said, you know, hey, yeah, uh, what was it, um, come up with a sci-fi series, uh, you know, and pitch it to us. I, basically what I did, I had to do it kind of quickly, I had to come up with something kind of quick, and it was almost like, okay, what are all the things from my childhood that, you know, made me love sci-fi and put it all into one, and it's all kind of worked its way in somehow into this, whether consciously or unconsciously. Uh, so yeah, there's so much, just personally, of, of you know, coming from like the, um, I guess the deep psyche or whatever uh that has come out into this, again, Just it's mainly supposed to be just sort of an adventure series, but also kind of exploring the views of, uh, my views of, of the galaxy. And in the end, the actual, I can't really say what it is, because that'd be spoilers for the end, but the final view of this is basically my view of the galaxy, of the universe. So you know, as pretentious as it sounds, but it, it, the end of this is literally going to be the way that I view... I. Uh, humanity and our place in the universe and, and all of that. So.
3: Hmm. You know, when they ask me what book I would keep of, if everything was ruined, I always say the one with the most pages because it's, it's going to last <laughs> longer in the bathroom, right? <laughs> that's, good to, yeah, that's a good point.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: you yeah, yeah. realistic, if
1: everything was being ruined, I, I'm going to need my toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I mean of like uh, leaving something behind of myself. If somebody wants to know the like the deep psyche of me or whatever like who i was and in this earth after i'm gone honestly i'd say relic world as bizarre as that is as much as it's just sort of it's it's so much not what you'd think to be a psychological uh exploration it is of me it is of what it, you know is going on deeply in, inside me i guess
3: yeah but doesn't that worry you when you expose yourself like that
1: it does, you know, and especially, you know, in this in this particular case, it's a little easier though. And I think that's the thing: is is sci fi and fantasy works best when it is symbolic, when it's saying something through something else. It's almost like that psychological, uh, you know, the psychologist uh, trick where they have you speak through puppets. It's like there are things that I want to say, but I can't say it, so I say it through my puppet. It's you know, and I can say it through fantasy, and I can say it through science fiction, and I can say it through these. Stories, but I can't really say it out loud. And actually, strangely enough, I'm actually writing another book. One of my next books that I'm writing is actually about that per- that kid I keep talking about from my childhood. Is literally about him, and that one's super, super, super hard to get to get through because I'm approaching it directly, and there are real people who will, you know will be affected by it and stuff. But I can say things about him and about myself through these other characters, much safer, even though there's part of it that knows I'm exposing something, because it's somewhat disguised, it makes it a little easier.
3: Right, right. But that, so this sounds like it's an intricate part of the whole series. Yeah. Um, you know, these personal things, it, it's kind of a subtext
1: in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, it's partly because, you know, in order to keep things going, you need the personal aspect going, but also... Uh, I, you know, I mean, that's really what a, a story is is, is, is for us, when we're reading it, we want to connect with someone, not just what someone does, you
3: know. Mm. Do you actually look for that sort of thing? Like, like, when you're reading or when you're writing, do you actually try to make sure your character is very accessible, very relatable?
1: Yes, I absolutely want to make sure that they, that people at least will care. Cause that's ultimately, the, the, that's really what it comes down to. Cause I, I you know, what really made, challenge me was the sort of the rise of the anti-hero, uh, especially in several series that come along. Uh, it's like, why do we care? For instance, why do we care about Walter White? I guess I go back to series again rather than a book series, but most of us know that more. Um, why do we care about Walter White? Well, it's, I mean, partly because we, I uh, grew to care about him at the beginning when he was more likable, um, but that's the thing: is it's just ultimately we have to uh, is hey, I to put it bluntly,
2: we have to. Oh my! Uh,
1: it, it isn't even so much of we have to like the person or, or love the person or want. It's just we have to care about what they're going through, uh, and so that is something I always I always try to really make. Uh, be careful of is wherever somebody's going, whatever somebody's doing, the audience just has to get oh, what they're doing.
3: So, hmm. yeah, that is important. Um, so, do you have? Do you actually have something you want people to, to take out of this series?
1: Yes, uh, I mean, first, uh, you know, I want them to have a good time. I want them to have fun, you know, et cetera. That is sort of the, Enjoy the surface park. level, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um... But also to expand the mind. I, there's, there's, there are a number of things I want them to take out of it, but they're, that are spoilers, unfortunately. But I, I without giving spoilers, I, I think I can safely say I want the audiences to, or I want readers to read it to um, to take away from it uh, an expansion of an idea. Because it's like I was saying about the alien races. I don't want to just simply have okay. Well, this is a lizard man. It's like well, who what. What more is there about them that is, and what is it that about them that that humans can't even have? Like their character, the, the way that a lot of the alien species speak to each other is a completely different method. The way that they experience the universe. There's one alien race that I made absolutely certain they have no eyes, nor do they even have any any type of visual sensor. They have the way they experience the the universe is through shooting out the uh, particle, the little particles, and they, they go out and then have to bounce back to them, sort of like the way bats will do sound waves for them with particle beams and, you know, bounce back to them. And the way that they experience everything is completely different. Uh, and then there's, you know, other, uh, the, the underwater race I was just dealing with, they are used to being able to communicate with one another halfway across the planet because of the way the, the way the, waterways can go across, you know, much further. Whales can speak to each other much further away. Uh, So, in in that, uh, that's more of an obvious way of looking at it. It's like, okay, look at the way aliens uh, would experience the universe in a completely different way, and then take that also to humanity, and understand humans see things in completely different ways. Even though we have the same sensory organs, because of the point of view, because of where you or who you are, you're going to experience things in different ways. And I purposely do that in the book, where there'll be like one chapter from one person's point of view. Then I'll go to a completely different person's point of view, and the scene will almost come across as a different scene, even though some of it overlaps. And part of the point of that is supposed to be the the parallel of just as we're seeing aliens who experience life different, differently than each other and and from us, so too do we humans experience. Uh, life differently from one another.
3: So. Now, there's been some um, discussion lately with, with writers and writing and how they process uh, story. And um, some writers have like an inner monologue in their head. Like, you know, I always joke around that I hear voices in my head and I transcribe. <laughs> and I transcribe those voices. And other uh-huh. writers see images and symbols. And,
1: and um, uh, I, I was just wondering how it is for you. Uh, I do, just like you, I transcribe, and in fact, that's literally my day job, is I transcribe uh, interviews. But when I write, I basically transcribe. I mean, essentially, I come up with the ideas. I spend long time, sometimes months, uh, in a few cases, sometimes years, thinking through something. Uh, In the case of Relic Worlds, actually, the first Relic Worlds novel... I uh, I had all the pieces, and I knew basically what I wanted to do, but I couldn't put them all together. I could not put the pieces together. I had no idea how I wanted to do it. And then it was literally while I was driving, uh, my girlfriend and I were driving out to Las Vegas for a, uh, what do you call it, for, for New Year's Eve, and we were going to go visit the, these, um, there's a friend of ours who her family lives out there. So we were going to hurt this friend's family's help. Uh, and we're driving in the middle of the night. Uh, I usually listen to audiobooks. Jamie didn't really want to, and she kind of fell asleep. And if I put anything on, I was going to wake her up and stuff. And so I just kind of, my mind started wandering, driving, you know, you know what it's like, driving between here and Vegas, dark, nothing around. And my mind started to wander, and literally all the pieces just fell into place. And I I literally could see, it was like watching a movie. I just literally saw the entire story take place during that drive. And I was still, well, I got to the end, and I was still about an hour away from Vegas. And I'm like holding it in while I'm driving as fast as I can. I'm like trying to get there as quickly as possible. We get to the home, knock on the door. This person uh, answers the door, not our friend. Her father answers the door. Someone we've never met, and she's like, Hi, you must be Jeff and Jamie. I'm like, Yes, do you have a pen and paper? (laughs) 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 Oh no, it's her mother because yeah, which points of being more ironic later on, but uh and she says, Yeah, here and she took me in and I just sat there and while Jamie and you know all the rest of them sat down and chatted and they all got to know each other, I just sat there and literally wrote out the entirety of the first book, the entire synopsis of the first book right there in front of them, (laughs) and I got done, I was like Done, and you know, they, and just then they were all going to bed. Ironically, that woman who answered the door, the, or the, the friend's mother, is the subject of the first chapter of uh, of Dirty Old War. The uh-huh. uh, I learned I learned later they were Vietnamese royalty, and uh, and so you know, they, and they had this whole escape from Vietnam story and stuff. But anyway, uh, and so basically, from there, I took the synopsis, and I was able to write it. I mean, it was, of course, that was still just a synopsis, but once I have a synopsis, it's almost like I can then play it back in my mind and I'm seeing it in my mind's eye while I'm just kind of transcribing, you know, what happened, so.
3: At first, I thought you said dirty old horror. Not...
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's
3: the first thing you're,
1: oh my. That's a, that's a... For, the, for the audience, it's dirty old war, in case I made it sound
3: <laughs> Well, I was thinking that's a terrible thing to think of. Like, you know, if it's your girlfriend's mother, you know, my god. <laughs> <laughs> first thing I thought about, I wrote a whole chapter about her in Dirty <laughs> Old Boy. Like, wow, uh, how how is that relationship going? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my god, my word,
1: oh my word. You, is...
3: you know what? But point of view, like when you say you write it from a different point of view, I've been noticing that a lot in sci-fi. Um, yeah. is that sort of becoming a trend or something like I, cause I don't do sci-fi. I don't, I, you know, cause I don't, I haven't written in that area, but is that sort of becoming popular or something?
1: That's a good question. I am saying that every time. Sorry. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, because I've, you know, I tend to read, uh, you know, either stuff from a while ago or, uh, just, you know, independent books that have just come out and stuff, uh, And yeah, I guess I kind of started, I have noticed that a couple times, but um, I guess I haven't read enough to really know if if it has or not. I certainly, you know, I'm kind of selfish that way. I'm always so involved in whatever I'm writing, and I usually read something related to what I'm writing. So if I'm writing sci-fi, I'm reading sci-fi. If I'm writing, you know, uh, nonfiction, I'm usually reading uh, research for that. Um, But I do notice that more people tend to, go into the point of view of... or the, the minds of, of the characters more than they were... I think maybe that's where we are as a culture, because I was noticing when I was reading... I noticed it more from reading older material, uh, because I've noticed a lot of the old, uh, the older books that I read tend to be like, hey, there was this... they went in a spaceship, or, you know, that's sort of a, a lame example. But they, they will oftentimes say... Uh, uh, what do you call it, something that was used, and almost like that's expected to be the the thing that's amazing. Um, and at, at that time, it was. The idea of a suggestion of, it's almost like the further back you go, the more it's just like the the basics of it. So it's like a ghost appeared, and it's like that in itself is scary because at that time it was, the, the suggestion was, was much more unusual. But now it's like, okay, we're used to that. It's not enough just to have a scary villain now what what do we know about the scary villain? Why are they a scary villain? Um, you know, uh it's not enough just that somebody found some ancient artifact. You know, now it's like, well what is that artifact? Why? Why is that artifact the way it is? I think today if uh if you were to go back and do the Indiana Jones stories again it'd be more like, okay, why is the art like this? You know, why is you know um I think more people are interested in the whys and what for's of individuals and of the things that they uh, interact with.
3: Yeah. Now, okay, so let's get this out before it's over. Um, uh. Do you have your, your website or your location, mm-hmm. where you'd
1: like people to come find you, date, um, whatever? Yes, it's uh, relicworlds.com is where you can find everything involved in Relic Worlds. It's uh, the short stories, the novels, games, uh, choose your own adventure books, everything. Uh, I mean, I have my own site, Bandwagon, Game, or Bandwagon Online dot uh, com that has like all my books, but everything Relic Worlds is in RelicWorlds dot com.
3: Wow, we will put that up on our site as well. You know, it's been cool, been quite the, quite the show. You know, we've been you know uh, what a guest our guest, wow, Jeff MacArthur, and we've been talking Relic Worlds. And uh, what did we learn? We learned that um, he worked uh, in a porn movie <laughs> called uh, Dirk Diggler,
1: and he likes to expose himself. <laughs> they asked me to be in one, and they were like, "Oh, well, you can be in, you know, because apparently I looked like somebody from one of the movies they were going to do." And he's like, "Oh, they they offered that, and then they said you don't have to have sex." And I'm like, that's taking away the one reason why, yeah. <laughs> why else would I be here." Come on, yeah. You
3: know, um, but it's been it's been we've learned a lot,
1: and um, geez,
3: I didn't know. A, So you know, porn star uh, writes books about his dirty old whore mother stepmother. (laughs) Um.
1: There's there's one story I think you guys will enjoy if we have a little just a a couple minutes time. So the uh, where the where Relic Worlds originally the very very first source of it comes from, uh, uh, um, like it's literally its birth because of the fact that it's not really what it actually is now, but it's where it started from, was. I, I so I went to NYU and and afterwards I uh, um my class was invited to go f- uh, sorry I'm uh, trying to think of how to describe it um when you're uh, ah when you graduate from somewhere you are alumni okay so <laughs> alumni uh, they, they, there was some uh, I was a, a, a the alumni of this class sorry question for two hundred <laughs> yeah I apologize <laughs> I I'm kind of stammering through this I'm glad you can edit these things anyway so. There was a special effects company, uh, invited a bunch of alumni from NYU this one particular year. And so we, you know, I went, uh, on the thing and they were making, they were doing the special effects for a Titanic at the time. And they gave us this whole long tour and at the end of it, they sat us down and they said, there's an alteri- uh, alternative or ulterior motive for us to show this to you. And they, they took us into this private room they called the whale was this meeting room. Um, and they like, it, cause they could seal it off and everything and they, they didn't want this to get out and they went, so, We're working on this movie, and it is going to be a gigantic flop. (laughs) They're like, this movie Titanic is going to just completely flop. It's not going to go anywhere. It's going to be the end of James Cameron. And we currently have a contract with him, but when this movie fails, he's not going to be able to afford to keep us anymore, so we want to be able to go off on our own. And so we want movies to be, uh, or we want to have some uh, movies to be, uh, uh, what do you call it, two... To basically uh, be able to develop ourselves and go off and do ourselves and something that is, uses a lot of special effects. So if you have pitches, please, you know, come back with them or whatever. So I went home and, you know, over that weekend was like, okay, I got to come up with something quickly because uh, this Titanic movie is going to come out and it's going to fail really soon. So I want them to, you know, have my thing in their right away. So when they go off on their own, they'll be, so I basically I threw all this stuff together. It was like, well, what, what is it that, uh, you know, is sort of, uh, can be reworked, retooled from my generation. I thought of Lord of the Rings, and I was like, all right, do a sci-fi version of that, because you want it to be something with a lot of special effects, and et cetera, et cetera. So, basically, I came up with this whole kind of pitch. It is not like it is now. It's like a completely kind of different thing, but I sent it into them, and then Titanic came out, and I never heard from those guys again. Oh, no. (laughs) They would never return the calls of any of us who were there. They pretended we never existed, and that conversation never happened. Yeah, that would have been time to
3: have your iPhone and filming it, you know, if there was one back, you know.
1: Uh Jesus. Well, anyway.
3: (laughs) Yep. There are times I
1: I really, during my whole life, that I really wish I had been taken because I'm like, I was there when this happened. Oh, my God.
3: Yeah, well, what can I say? It never, never, never fails to entertain. Um, Our guest today, (laughs) Jeff MacArthur,
1: thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. See ya. To find out more about our show,
3: guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Have been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! How see
0: you mind to me? I'll be back.
2: This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well.